Hi, I'm Damon Fairless, host of Hunting Warhead from CBC Podcasts and the Norwegian newspaper VG. Hunting Warhead follows a global team of police and journalists as they attempt to dismantle a massive network of predators on the dark web. Winner of the grand prize for best investigative reporting at the New York festivals and recommended by The Guardian, Vulture, and The Globe and Mail, you can find Hunting Warhead on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. It's unacceptable that for a hundred days, all of this madness is happening here. hundred days and until now, we didn't see a solution in the horizon of suffering for people in Gaza. That's Yusuf Hamash, an aid worker in Gaza with the Norwegian Refugee Council. Fighting in that region has now been going on for well over 100 days. The health ministry in Gaza says the Palestinian death toll from the war between Israel and Hamas has surpassed 25,000 people. And the humanitarian needs grow more desperate by the day. 80% of the population are displaced without any means of protection, without any access of their basic needs. People are living day by day in an impossible situation, trying to find solution to provide their family and children need. According to the World Food Program, about 93% of the population in Gaza is facing crisis levels of food insecurity. Imagine people feel that they did a victory when they come back home with a bucket of bread or a few bottles of water or a food parcel. hundred day and people still suffering every day just to get their basic needs under this bombardment around us. Getting aid into Gaza has been a major obstacle for humanitarian groups, and we'll hear more about that in just a moment. But we start in Gaza. Isam Hamad is an engineer and regional manager of a medical equipment company. We have spoken with him throughout this war, and today he is in Rafa. Isam, hello. Hi, Matt. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? I'm fine. Trying to survive. Trying to survive. Tell me where you are right now. I'm in Rafa. What is it like in Rafa right now? Uh, it's very bad. It's uh, very crowded now after uh, all the people from Hanwins moved to Rafa. It's terribly bad. Can you describe what it's like? I mean, your family is there right now, and, and you and I have spoken a few different times. Just describe what, what you see right now. Well, I'm still in the same place. Uh, we were about uh, 37 people, now we are 43 because all, also uh, more relatives came to the place so we are uh, in a very crowded place now, but uh, I will, what I can see uh, newer than the last interview is that uh, tents are now in every spot in Rafah, in every street in every seaside in everywhere everywhere in Rafah. You can see tents everywhere, even at the, from the Egyptian border to the allowed area in Hanun, called Al-Mawasi. What's the situation like for food right now? It's getting harder now uh, because uh, there's a limited amount of food uh, from type and uh, also the aid is, is very limited in, uh, in choices. Uh, you only have uh, some types of food that come and not enough uh, for our usage. We have to buy uh, from whoever uh, sells uh, the aid who receives. Uh, it's very difficult. Prices are very high. Uh, there are uh, also types are not available in, uh, in, in the market. Very, very limited. 
uh, like canned canned meat uh, uh, and some canned also fish and some canned vegetables. That's all available in the market. Nothing else. Do you do you have enough for your family? Well, we have enough. For, I am. I, I. I always buy what is necessary for my family, but uh, I, I also buy from the types available. Like there is no meat to cook at all. There is not not any type of meat, not poultry, not meat, not uh, lamb, not beef. There is nothing in the market. Only canned luncheon and uh, canned beef. That's all available in the, in the market. So we have uh, no chance to cook. We can only uh, eat uh, canned uh, food. Uh, there is also biscuits come from the World Food Program and from uh, other uh, aid come from Jordan, from uh, the Gulf States, from Germany, from what we can read on the boxes. I've seen some, some images of when the aid trucks arrive, um, people just sort of swarming the aid trucks to try and get food. Have you seen that? Yes, I have seen this myself. Uh, but I tell you what, now, uh, if, if you have to eat twice, let me just say we eat twice a day, not three times. There is no choice uh, to eat three times. If you need to eat twice and you have to feed your family and you receive a box of uh, aid, uh, let's say once in every two weeks, what are you going to do with the rest of the days? You have food to feed them two, three days. And then what, what, what will you do? If you have money in your pocket, you will. You will buy. If you don't have your money in your pocket, what, what will you say? The World Food Program, before the war says, 69% of the people of Gaza Strip lost uh, food security. So these people do not have the money to buy. So what they do, what, what, what choices they have? I, I don't say that what, what is happening is, is correct. But what, what, is, what choices is left to them in order to feed themselves? Nothing. Nothing. So this is what, well, it's what happens. In, when you have no law and order. Is that what it feels like? There's no law and order in, 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 in Rafa no right now? No law and order. No law and order. Uh, two days ago, four people died just because of the, the crowded people uh, uh, surrounded uh, one of the trucks uh, bringing aid, and they just uh, died under the feet of the people. Four people. And we, we are now seeing things that uh, we have never expected to see. When I spoke with you before, you were trying to get your children out of Gaza. Um, where, where is that at? Has, has that been successful at all? I was trying to get my children out of Gaza because I have an Irish son and I've got a family reunion visa. But unfortunately, I wasn't been able to be, to be put on the list to, to, to leave Rafah, uh, the crossing point. Only the Irish son and his uh, uh, younger uh, brother who have been issued permit to leave. Me and my wife and the other child did not receive a permit to leave. So I couldn't leave. Mm-hmm. But by the way, my Irish son is disabled, so he cannot leave at alone. He's still with you? Yes, he's still with me here in Rafa. Yeah? He is disabled. He cannot walk and he cannot talk. He's a cerebral palsy child. He was born in Ireland in 1997. <laughs> I've spoken to you so many times over the course of this, um, and the situation seems to get worse and worse and worse. How are you holding up? Well, uh, life is the same every day for us. You just expect them to die. That's all. When you hear the bombs coming, you are just expecting to die. That's all. Every day is the same as uh, uh, the other day. So we, uh, you go in, in, in the morning to get just some fresh air. You see the people 
fighting over the, the food and and these scenes, sewage everywhere and reports now coming with 4,000 cases of hepatitis A that's new to Gaza. And that's disaster, catastrophe. 4,000 cases of hepatitis A, that, that means it's, it's spreading. There is a problem. And that's in addition to hundreds of thousands of uh, upper respiratory infections. Everybody, even myself, I'm, I'm, you probably hear my voice a little bit different today because I'm also sick. Why sewage is everything, everywhere. The, the clean water is no longer clean in order to drink it. Uh, the food is, is very limited, so the immunity is weak. And uh, the life is uh, terribly bad. It's terribly bad and very crowded, very crowded. Place. You know, in order to move, you cannot find a, a car, uh, I mean, a cab, or to, to just to take it and move from place to another. You have to use a, a horse or a, a truck, uh, holding on a truck or something. Something, uh, and without seeing it by your eyes on a video, you cannot expect it. We, have, uh, we are now living in the dark ages, 500 years ago. And Rafa. Isam, I'm always thankful to speak with you. I'm sorry for what you're in the middle of right now, and I wish you the very, very best. Stay safe, and I hope we talk again in better circumstances. Thank you, Matt. Thank you very much. Take care. Thank, Thank you very you. much. All, all the best. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Isam Hamad is an engineer and regional manager of a medical equipment company. He is in Rafah with his family after fleeing Gaza City and then Han Yunus. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of The Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at The Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. The World Food Program, along with the WHO and UNICEF, have called on Israel to expand humanitarian access to Gaza. The UN agencies issued a statement last week saying the amount of aid making it into Gaza right now cannot prevent a famine. Arif Hussein is chief economist for the World Food Program. He is in Rome. Arif, hello to you. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. So we just spoke with a man in Gaza, he's in Rafa, and uh, he says that that he and his family can get two meals a day, but that it's a scramble. As you understand it, what is the situation broadly across Gaza? So in Gaza, pretty much everybody, meaning almost 2.2 million people, are in crisis level of hunger. And about a quarter of the population, meaning more than half a million people, are in catastrophic level of hunger. Is it a famine? For us technicians, famine is a technical term. Mm. Three conditions must come together. At least 20% of the population must be experiencing extreme levels of hunger. 30% of the children must be severely malnourished, meaning that they must be wasted. And then the third condition is that the death rate, the mortality rate, should be double. So when these three conditions come together in one specific place, Mm. we say it's a famine. So now what we know for sure is that the first condition that has already been met, more than a quarter of the population is already starving. The second condition, which is about children, and then the third condition, which is about mortality, they have not been yet met, or at least we don't know. Why don't we know? Because the health sector is completely decimated. So nobody is collecting that type of data. But what I can tell you is that there is something which is called Famine Review Committee. There's like five top experts, and they came to the conclusion that 
if hostilities continue the way they are or they worsen, we will end up in a famine within the next six months. You know, this analysis was done about a month ago. We as humanitarians, we as humanity, we work to avoid famines. We don't say, ah, there is a famine, let's do something about it. When we say there is a famine, that is kind of acknowledgement of collective failure, mm. meaning we were unable to do anything and people died, people starved, and children got malnourished. As you understand it, what does that look like on the ground? Again, we've heard Isam's take on this and what he's experiencing yeah. in Rafa. But when 2.2 million people, as you said, um, the majority of, of, of that population is in a food security crisis or a worse situation, what does that look like right. on the ground in terms of people's ability to access food? All I can say is that it's terrible. You know, it's not only about food, right? Food is not available. There's not enough water available. People should have at least access to 15 liters of water per day for all purposes. In Gaza right now, you're lucky if you have one to two liters of water per person. No medicine, no healthcare, no shelter. And, you know, 85, 90% of the population displaced and in the middle of winter. So what all of this is doing is it is creating a recipe for some kind of outbreak. And at a time when the immune systems of people, whether children, whether women, whether elderly, is already compromised. Why? Because they're, they're not getting enough nourishment on a sustained basis. And I think that is recipe for even a bigger disaster. What's your understanding in terms of the sacrifices that families are having to make to try to get food and water? What we have seen is that pretty much everybody's skipping meals. Our latest data shows, I mean, nine out of 10 people, uh, particularly in the north, they're, they're going without meals in 24 hours. You know, adults' parents are skipping meals to feed their children. The thing is that this is not one day or two days. Now it's more than 100 days. Imagine being in a situation where you're deprived of, of essentials like food, water, medicine for more over three months. So it's no surprise that, you know, people are extremely vulnerable there. You've worked all over the world, in Yemen, South Sudan, in Nigeria, in Ethiopia. Have you ever seen anything quite like this before? I mean, what, what is different now in terms of uh, what's unfolding compared to what you've seen elsewhere? What makes this unprecedented is, um, one, it's the scale. You know, it's the entire population of a particular place. The second thing is it's the severity. And severity in terms of death, in terms of injuries, in terms of displacement, in terms of no food, no water, no medicine, no health care, no shelter. And then the speed of this, how quickly this has happened. And the other thing which people may or may not realize, that on a good day, Gaza was reliant on humanitarian assistance for about 75 to 80 percent of its needs. And in terms of food assistance, about two thirds of its needs. So it's not like, you know, they had all these stocks sitting there, which they could use uh, when things start stopped coming from, from outside, food and other essential commodities, meaning, again, food, water, medicine, fuel, that comes from outside. So if, if that stops or it comes at a trickle now, that is going to have consequences. And this is what we are seeing. There are severe consequences of this. And uh, all of this combined, again, this, the scale, the severity, and the speed mm. is what makes this unprecedented. Why is the aid not getting through? The WFP has been warning of a coming catastrophe in Gaza for weeks now. So why, as you understand it, why is the aid not getting through? 
Well, I mean, look, I mean, you know, you need, um, we have, first we have one border crossing. Now we have two border crossing. You need more than that. Um, you know, the solution, the other thing is that, you know, it's not only a matter of aid coming through, but aid needs to get to the people wherever they may be. And that requires some kind of sustained security in terms of getting to people or people coming to the to where the, the assistance is. And if those things are not happening for one reason or the other, that means that it is not getting to the people who need it in a consistent or in a sustained way. Who's who's holding that and, up, though? Look, I mean, um, it's, the, it's the circumstance, it's the situation, right? I don't know how you can do that, how you can take aid all over the Gaza Strip without a humanitarian ceasefire. Because it's not a matter of doing it for one day or one hour, right? If you're, you know, if this is how, you know, you need to have these systems working and, and you know, the commercial sector has to work as well. And, and, and for all of that to happen, a necessary condition is humanitarian ceasefire, because without humanitarian ceasefire, you cannot go in and bring food and other essential commodities at scale to where they're needed. Moshe Tetro, who is the head of the Israeli army unit that's responsible for aid distribution, said that aid is piling up, that there's no food shortage right now, and that it's the United Nations that's to blame for not properly distributing aid that has entered Gaza. What do you make of that? Look, I'm, you know, Matt, I'm, um, I'm an analyst, I'm a humanitarian. Uh, I can tell you, you know, what is happening to people. I can tell you where assistance is required. And I can tell you that under the circumstances, assistance is not getting to where it should. Just to be clear, though, as you understand it, is there aid that's piling up? When you hear that it's the United Nations that isn't distributing aid, that there's plenty of aid that's there, is that... Help me help me close the gap between what you're saying and what the Israeli government is saying. Well, I mean, all I know, if you if you talk to to anybody, including our staff, I mean, it is again, it is not a matter of aid sitting on the on 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 the border, or it is a matter of making sure that that aid is is distributed to people who need it, whether in the north, whether in the south of Gaza Strip which means that commodities have to move, humanitarians have to move, and all of that is to happen. And how can that happen if you have active life war? I think that's, that's, that's as simply as I can put it. So without humanitarian assistance, it is, it is really not possible in many ways to get to the people where they are unless there is safety and security for people who need assistance, but also people who need to deliver that assistance. You know, UN, we've lost, you know, well, more than 150 of our colleagues trying to do this work. And that's the biggest price you pay. What do you, just before I let you go, what, what are you most concerned about if this continues? And you've talked about the various stages of, of food insecurity and the crises that are developing. What are you most concerned about? Well, I mean, you know, you're looking at a, if this continues any longer um, or worsens for that matter, um, you're essentially looking at a full-fledged famine on one side. And uh, that's something which is happening in real time in front of us. 
and 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 that means that we need to do whatever we can to avoid a full-fledged panel and we can uh, but in order to get that done i think all parties need to work together and make sure that we have a common goal of making sure that innocent men women and children don't pay the ultimate price arif said we'll leave it there i'm glad to talk to you thank you very much Thank you, Matt. Arif Hussain is Chief Economist for the World Food Program. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.